following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're concluding our series this morning in Romans 12 to 14. Uh, we've been working through these three chapters uh, over the last three weeks, just a brief series. Uh, and talking about what it means for us as a church community to journey well with each other through these really challenging times that we find ourselves in at the moment. So we come today to Romans 14, uh, another really pertinent and relevant chapter to the times that we're going through. Uh, and let me just start with this observation. I, uh, I read an article last year by an Auckland pastor, uh, and he observed that within his church congregation, he said, we've got, he counted 17 different views on vaccination among his people. And this was before the vaccine mandates came out. This was before the traffic light system. So just as the vaccine itself was being rolled out, he said he counted 17 different views on vaccination. So not just the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, but all of these different iterations of views, different reasons why people were vaccinated or were not vaccinated. And, and I would guess that within our church congregation, we've probably got the same range. We might even have more of a range, all sorts of different views. And then of course you add in people's views on vaccine mandates, you add in views on the traffic light system and gathering restrictions and all sorts of things. And the, the range of views and perspectives just multiplies exponentially. And the real question then is, is it even possible for a community to be united? When, when there are such divergent views within that community. Is it possible for that group to be united? And the world would say no. And we see that, right? We see just such social fragmentation uh, and, and tribalism and hostility between different viewpoints. The world says you, you just can't coexist within a community like that. People pull apart. And yet, Scripture says yes. Scripture tells us clearly it is possible to have a church community where you have a, a huge diversity, a huge array of different views and perspectives, and yet that community can be unified under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ. And in Romans 14, Paul is going to show us how that works and how we can achieve that kind of unity, even with the diversity of views that we have. Now, just a little bit of background uh, to Romans 14. The, the issues that Paul is dealing with here in the church in Rome He's got at least two groups that, that he's aware of in this church. There's one group, probably a group of Jewish Christians, uh, and they felt strongly that even though they were Christians, genuine Christians, that there were aspects of the Mosaic law they were still required to keep. Uh, things like not eating meat or not eating cert certain types of meat like pork. Uh, they also believed it was important to continue observing the Jewish Sabbath. So Saturday was a special day for them, and they believed this was part of their ongoing allegiance to God as Christians. And then you had another group, probably non-Jewish Christians, and they took the opposite view. Uh, they believed that all foods were fine to eat, that you didn't have to avoid meat, meat uh, or, or pork, uh, and that every day was equally special, that there was no one day that was, was sacred or unique. So you've got these two camps within the church and maybe some variations in between. And it's important to realize these are not just superficial differences. Uh, these ran really deep. This is not just a case of carnivores versus vegetarians. I mean, these, these are long-standing cultural traditions and views 
going back through the Jewish heritage of the Old Testament. These are deeply held religious views. These are deeply held personal views. That divide between Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament is absolutely massive. And trying to bring those two groups together within the church was a huge challenge for Paul and the other apostles. So, so that's what Paul is, is dealing with in the church, these two different groups with different views around the law. And here is Paul's instruction to them, just picking up verse 1 at the moment. He says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, the key is there, what Paul means by disputable matters. Uh, and, and the word, the Greek word, is dialogismos. And that's, you can probably hear the word from which we get the English word, dialogue. And so Paul's saying these disputable matters, they are matters around which Christians are going to disagree, uh, around which all people may disagree. There are matters around which there can be dialogue, matters on which there can be conversation, matters on which we may not think the same thing, but we can graciously and lovingly have some back and forth dialogue on these issues. And these disputable matters, this is the category that Paul places these issues into, these issues around eating certain types of food or observing certain types of days. They are disputable matters. Another word for disputable matters is convictions. And let me give you a definition of conviction. Uh, this is from a book I read over summer called Winsome Conviction. Great book if you want a good read around this issue. Uh, and in this book, the authors define a conviction. Uh, they say this, Convictions are firmly held moral or religious beliefs that guide our beliefs, actions, or choices. So convictions are beliefs that we hold deeply. We hold them personally. We hold them strongly. We feel our convictions. And they guide our conduct. They influence our lives every day. So it's helpful to think of convictions as being greater than opinion. Okay, if you've got opinion down here, we've got opinions on all kinds of things, right? We, we could have different opinions on what flavor ice cream we like. Uh, and that's pretty trivial, although you might feel very strongly about it, but it's, it's fairly trivial. It doesn't deeply affect us. It's not of a moral nature. It doesn't really go deeply into our being. Uh, and so we don't want to trivialize convictions by calling them opinions because they are more weighty than that. Uh, convictions are of a moral nature, even of a religious nature. But at the same time, it's important that we don't elevate convictions to the level of absolutes. There are theological and doctrinal absolutes that we hold to and we should all hold to as Christians. And on those things, we should be absolutely in step, absolutely uh, unified. Things like the, the reality of the Trinity the nature of human sin, human beings made in the image of God, Jesus Christ being our only saviour. One day Jesus is coming again. These bedrock truths of our faith. Now those are absolutes, doctrinal absolutes. We all hold to those together. But convictions are not the same as absolutes. And when Paul talks to the Romans about these issues, he intentionally doesn't place them into the category of absolutes. If he had done that, then you would find Paul saying something like, well, this group here is clearly in the right, and this group here, they are a bunch of heretics, and they've got it wrong, and they are going against the gospel, and you need to sort things out and get back on track with this group over here. And there's certainly times, I mean, you read the book of Galatians, certainly times when Paul's quite prepared to do that. When the gospel is at stake, 
when bedrock theology is at stake, Paul will absolutely call for correction. But he doesn't do that here. Instead, he places these views, these issues, into the category of disputable matters, the matters of dialogue, the matters of conviction. And that's important for us in thinking about the types of convictions, the types of beliefs that we hold to today. Uh, you, you can think straight away, I'm sure, in, in the current COVID climate of things that would fall into this category of convictions. People have different convictions around vaccines. Uh, some people have, have a conviction that vaccination is, is a good thing that they want to do and that everyone should do. Um, others have a conviction that they don't want to, for whatever reason, get vaccinated. People have strong convictions around the vaccine mandates. Uh, you could take it out of the COVID sphere, take it out of the Christian sphere. People have different convictions around government in general and what the right type of government is for New Zealand. Uh, people have different convictions around issues like climate change, issues like racism. We have these different convictions and we hold them strongly and we hold them dearly as Christians and yet they are still things on which different people are going to come to different views. Different people are going to have different convictions and that's okay. They are disputable matters. So the real question that Paul's wrestling with in Romans 14 is how do we deal with these disputable matters in the church? How do we deal with a church where there are a whole range of different convictions, strongly held convictions on these different issues? How do we treat each other around this? I want to draw out from this chapter three guiding principles. And I want to frame these as commitments, commitments that I would ask us as a church to make to one another in the year ahead around how we hold these convictions. The first is that we hold our convictions to please God and not to persuade others. Let me read you what Paul says in verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Uh, notice the repetition there of that phrase, to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. What Paul is saying is the direction of our convictions should be towards God, not towards other people. In other words, we don't hold our convictions to try and convince other people on the horizontal axis. We don't hold our convictions to try and persuade others, to try and compel other people, to try and convince everyone else that we're right. Uh, to try and please other people. Sometimes we can hold convictions to try and be accepted by a certain group of people. But Paul says, no, no, we don't hold our convictions with a view towards people. We hold our convictions to the Lord and before him and him alone. Uh, Paul puts it even more strongly in verse 22. He says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? Uh, and I don't think that Paul is saying there's never a time to talk about these things. I don't think he's saying that conversations about our convictions are off limits completely. But he's saying simply that the goal of our convictions is not to share them as broadly as possible, but to hold them before God and to hold them in a way that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Let me just read you another quote from this book. Uh, the authors put this really well. Uh, they say, Convictions are for personal consumption, not for export. That's great, isn't it? 
in disputable matters, our goal is not to please ourselves or others, nor is it to please ourselves, but rather our goal is to please Jesus. It's a great phrase that our convictions are not to be exported. In other words, we don't hold these convictions so that I can kind of push them on everybody else. Our convictions are for personal consumption. They are to be internalized deeply uh, between me and, and God. And so the nature, when we come into these disputable matters, issues around which Christians disagree, what God calls us to do is to think these things through for ourselves, to search the scriptures for ourselves, maybe in community with others, have conversation, do our own research, do our own exploration of the issues, as much or little as we may choose to, and then we form these convictions, we may hold those convictions, we hold them before God. And so you could have two Christians who hold different convictions around whatever COVID issues may be, and they hold those convictions in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, they're accepted by God, it may lead them to different courses of action. It may lead them to see situations very, very differently. But in both cases, they hold those convictions before God, and even though those convictions may be wildly different, that's okay. And we have to accept that as a church. The diversity of convictions is a good thing if we hold them before God and not to persuade people. Okay, the second guiding principle or the second commitment is that we will not judge those who have different convictions to us. And let me, Paul says this in various ways and various times through the passage. Let me just read verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So I think we all know, and, and I've harped on about this for a while now, that, that we are not to judge each other. We're not to look down on each other and despise each other for the different views that we may hold. The problem is it's just so hard not to, isn't it? Like, let's just be honest. It's hard, especially at the moment, not to be a little bit judgmental towards people who may not have the same convictions as we do. And there is actually a good cultural reason for that. Uh, apparently, the amount of information that you receive on a daily basis now is more than five times greater than what it was for people in 1980. So I was only one year old in 1980, so I wasn't receiving a lot of information myself. But even for adults in 1980, if you think of on a given day what you would receive through TV, through radio, through books, through in-person conversations, that is now multiplied at least five times with the growth of the internet, with the advent of the smartphone, with the explosion of social media, now we are bombarded with information on a daily basis. We are absolutely inundated and saturated with information. And our brains need strategies for coping with all of this information overload that we have to try and make things easier for ourselves. And one of the strategies that our brains employ is categorization. And what that means is that when you get a sense of where someone might be at, when you get a little snippet of someone's view or opinion or conviction on something, you very quickly, as quickly as possible, put that person into a category. It's like filing a, a document in your, in your folder on your network. You quickly put them into a category and that just creates ease of reference for you. So you don't have to do the difficult mental work of figuring out exactly where this person's at and everything they may think. We just quickly sum them up as quickly as we can place them in that box, place them in that category. And of course, what this leads to is stereotyping. And we're all familiar with this because we put people in very broad 
large general categories and then we think we've got them summed up. And we do this on the basis of very little information sometimes, just because that's what our brains naturally gravitate towards to make our mental life a little bit easier. So as soon as someone says to you they're concerned about the environment, you immediately put them into the category greenie. Uh, as soon as someone mentions the, the term systemic racism, you put them into the woke category. As soon as someone tells you that they're not vaccinated, you put them into the anti-vaxxer category. And that's it. Once you've got them in the category, you've got them pegged, right? You think you know them. You think you know everything about them and everything about everyone else in that category. In reality, and we know this in our hearts, right? In reality, within those categories, there is a massive spectrum of people. There's a huge diversity of people in any one category, and we just can't paint people with such broad brush strokes. I know that it is mentally easy to do this, but my challenge to us as a community is that this year, we're gonna to have to put in a little bit more mental energy to push past those kinds of stereotypes, to push past those kinds of lazy caricatures of each other. And when we are in conversation with other people around different convictions, and I'm not saying that we should talk about these things all the time, by the way, but when, when we are in appropriate conversation with people, try to avoid going to the stereotypes. We just do it so quickly, but try to push through the stereotypes, try to listen to where the other person is coming from and listen in a way that you don't just predetermine everything they're about to say. Listen to where they're coming from. Every person's view is unique. Every, each of us are shaped by our culture, by our experiences, by our family, by our upbringing, by our influences, all kinds of things. No two people are exactly alike in their convictions and we do a disservice to people when we stereotype them. Instead, listen, um, ask good questions and you'll find through that process that people's views are so much more nuanced than you thought they were, so much more specific and personal than you thought they were. And what starts to happen when you can give the time to listening lovingly, thoughtfully, is that you no longer see people as just a category, you no longer see people as a label, but you see them as human beings, people made in the image of God, each one unique, reflecting the diversity and the, the, the creativity of God himself. And you see the humanity of people. And that helps us avoid judging people, treating people with contempt and looking down on them because of their views. So this year, let's avoid the stereotypes. Let's put aside the, the easy labels and the quick generalizations. And let's really love each other individually and listen to each other personally because that will help us to be less judgmental towards one another as a church family. All right, the final guiding principle, final commitment that Paul gives us is that we will avoid putting stumbling blocks in each other's paths. Now, what do I mean by stumbling blocks? What does Paul mean by stumbling blocks? Here's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And so what, what Paul is saying is that if you have someone, and, and this is to the church in Rome, if there is someone in that church who does not eat meat um, out of a conscience decision that they've made before God, 
And then you have someone else who's perfectly comfortable eating meat and they turn up at this person's house with a whole bag of pork ribs and they put those on the barbecue and they proceed to eat those and they kind of want the other person to, to eat those as well and don't see any problem with that. Paul says you would be putting a stumbling block in the way of that brother or sister because you're creating an awkward situation, you're bringing the relationship under strain, you're potentially causing offence and you may cause that person to do something that is against their own conscience decision and against their own convictions that they have, have thought through prayerfully before God. And that is not your place to try and change that person's convictions just because you may have a different conviction. That is putting a stumbling block in the path of that other person. Now, you can start to see, can't you, the connections to contemporary situations. Uh, Anna and I uh, have some friends who, when they were first married, she... Uh, was not a drinker, she didn't drink, came from a family where alcohol had done damage in her broader family, and so she stayed away from alcohol. Uh, he was comfortable having a drink, no problem with it. He didn't have those same alcohol issues within his broader family, wasn't part of his upbringing in that way, and so he was comfortable having a drink. But for the sake of their relationship, he decided that he would not drink for the sake of his marriage. Even though he was comfortable in himself having a drink, didn't believe that was wrong to do that, but out of love for his wife, he knew that if, if he had a drink, and especially in front of her, that it would cause a level of stress, it would cause a level of anxiety to her, and it wouldn't be good for their marriage. So he decided as an act of love and sacrifice for his wife that he would not drink. What he was doing was deciding not to put a stumbling block in the marriage and in the path of this woman. That was a brave and courageous and sacrificial decision. And that, that's what it means to avoid putting a stumbling block in someone's path. It requires sacrifice because it means giving up something of our own freedoms or what we might feel comfortable doing in order not to offend the conscience of another person. It is a self-limiting decision. It is a sacrificial decision. Now you can see how this applies into the COVID sort of environment that we've got today. Just give you one example. Think about wearing masks, wearing face masks. So you might be someone who's quite relaxed about wearing face masks. You don't wear a mask any time that you don't have to, uh, unless you're absolutely asked to do that. You don't want to wear a face mask and uh, you just, you don't see the need, that's fine. But if you're in a situation with someone who does wear a face mask most of the time and is much more comfortable in social environments where people are wearing face masks, then you've got a decision to make, don't you? Uh, either you're going to say, well, I'm just not going to wear my mask because I don't have to, because my Christian freedom tells me I don't need to wear a mask. And in fact, maybe by not wearing a mask, I'll try and send a lesson to this other person that they don't wear, need to wear a mask either. Or you could decide to follow Paul's guidance here and say, you know, even though I'm comfortable not wearing a mask. Out of love for my brother or my sister, I'm gonna put a face mask on. No, I don't have to, but it's acting in the interests of the other person because I don't want to offend them. I don't want to offend their conscience. I don't, I don't want to make them uncomfortable or, or, or lead them to, to do something that they may not be comfortable doing that might violate their convictions. And so out of love and out of self-sacrifice, you may choose to put a mask on. And that would be avoiding a stumbling block in that relationship and in that context. I want to encourage you to think in this COVID environment, what it might mean for you to avoid putting stumbling blocks in the path of other people. Be sensitive to those situations where 
Your own convictions may require you at times to take those steps of sacrifice or even self-limitation for the sake of loving your brother or your sister. And again, that principle of love is the overriding principle here. That's what Paul is grounding everything on. It is loving one another. It is doing what leads to building the other person up, not just building me up, not just looking out for myself, not just looking out for my interests, but doing what leads to mutual edification. If we have that guiding principle in our mind, all three of these things we've talked about will naturally happen. If we're acting out of love for others, out of love for our neighbor, love for our brother and sister, love for whoever is in front of us in the moment, these things will naturally happen because we're not driven by self-serving interests, but by self-giving interests. So as we go through the season in our church life, I want to invite us to rediscover this little category of disputable matters. I guess actually it's quite a big category. There's a lot in it. Uh, but to think about these convictions that we have around all sorts of issues, particularly COVID issues, as being in this category of disputable issues or convictions. And that absolutely means that we can have convictions on these issues. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. It's good and it's right to have convictions. We can have convictions deeply. I think Paul had his own convictions on these issues. He, he's not impartial and he shares his own view. So we can hold convictions. We can feel them strongly. But let's hold our convictions in a way that is loving towards others. Let's hold our convictions to please God, firstly, and not persuade other people, seeing them as for personal consumption, not for export. Let's make sure uh, in our convictions that we're not putting a stumbling block in the path of a brother or a sister. And let's not judge or treat with contempt anyone who has any different convictions to us. Let's push past the stereotypes and appreciate the uniqueness of each person and each person's convictions. As we do this, even though we are a church in which there will be many, many different convictions strongly held on many, many different issues, we can show the world that it's possible to be united in faith. Because while we have these divergent views on things, we are united around our common conviction, our absolute conviction, the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one who holds us together above all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, as we close today, we just want to pray for one another. And right now, Lord, here in our, in our homes, wherever we're watching this, we just lift up one another in our church. We pray for those, Lord, who have different convictions to us. We pray for those who are on the other, other side of the fence on whatever issue it may be to us, those who think completely differently to us. And we want to pray for them now, Lord Jesus. We may know some of those names and faces, and we call them to mind now. We pray for those people. We pray blessing upon them. We pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon those people. We don't pray that in order to change their minds, Lord God. We pray that because we ask for your love and grace to rest upon them. Lord, help us to hold our convictions well before you and you alone as we move forward, Lord Jesus. And help us to focus on those things which are greatest and most important. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says the greatest of these things is love. Help us to keep love at the very center of our church life this year as we move forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit 
www.shore.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shore.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.